Lily Riddle Narcotics Emporium presents Lily and the Art of Being Sisyphus by the Carnivorous Muffin read by San Gabriel based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 5 The Dogs of Pavlov it was several Sundays after that first therapy session in Dr. Mitchell's brightly colored office that Lily and Wizard Lennon found themselves once again in the train station called Purgatory, drinking tea with death. They were sitting at the usual cafe table, each sipping tea that had been poured by death at the start of the meeting. Death was wearing his usual black wardrobe, but Wizard Lennon was kind enough to bring some rent to the table. Today he had lost his more military uniform and descended into schoolboy wearing a dark gray uniform complete with a red scarf and a red beret that Che Guevara would have been proud to wear. For whatever reason, though, Wizard Lennon did not respect Che Guevara's fashion sense and had angrily tossed the hat aside as soon as they had materialized in the station. What was interesting about this particular meeting with death was not that things had come to a head in the mortal plane, which they had, but because Lennon was too upset with Lily to function properly and thus had decided to vent to death himself rather than seethe silently like he normally did whenever Lily visited death. The trouble was that Wizard Lennon loathed death. Wizard Lennon, Lily found, loathed most things, but death had a special place in his cold black heart. What was strange about his loathing of death was that it wasn't so much for the man itself, although death clearly annoyed him, as it was for the idea of what he represented. It was like death had done something to personally offend Wizard Lennon, and Lily had no idea what it was, only that it made her head hurt whenever death and Wizard Lennon glared at each other for too long. In the last couple of visits they'd grow more tolerant of each other. They no longer spent the entire visit bickering, for one thing, but they still weren't exactly friendly. When speaking to Wizard Lennon, Uncle Death wore his inhuman face more often, the ancient face of a forgotten god. Before them he would stand the god-emperor, observing his kingdom of dust. It seemed like there was some invisible war being waged above Lily's head, where the only weapons allowed were eye contact and subtle threats. Their friendliness to each other was sickly sweet, both of them wearing charming smiles while their white knuckles gripped the table to keep them from stabbing each other. The undertone of danger was still very much evident in the air, but this was the first time that Wizard Lennon was speaking for a lengthy period of time to death without the intent to unnerve or otherwise insult him. And that wasn't to say that Wizard Lennon was going out of his way to be charming, but that single-minded focus he usually brought to the conversation was elsewhere. "'You are quite possibly the worst father figure I've ever witnessed,' Wizard Lennon began casually as if discussing the weather. "'And this includes my own father.' Death blinked, and did manage to look somewhat affronted, which was more than Wizard Lennon's other jibes had managed to accomplish. Insults that would have Uncle Vernon tearing his hair out and beating her for shaming the family rolled off Death in cool waves, leaving him as serene and untouchable as always. This time his eyes narrowed slightly, and his expression became somewhat cold. "'And why is that exactly?' Wizard Lennon began to grin, one that was possibly Cheshire in nature as he folded his hands beneath his chin. Well, there's a little story that goes along with that. It had all started a few weeks back, when she had first gone to therapy. Dr. Mitchell was a nice man, nicer even than Mrs. Fig, who had become somewhat jittery in the past few months since her meeting Uncle Death. He didn't offer her food, but he offered relatively decent conversation, in that he let her talk about whatever she wanted to, and didn't interrupt. 
Sometimes he'd ask specific questions about school, Dunley, the Dursleys, even Mrs. Fink, and he'd make little notes as she talked, but for the most part, she actually got to say what was on her mind. It was very relaxing. Never since Uncle Death had she met someone she could really talk with. Wizard Lenham was all well and good, but sometimes he disregarded what she said or went on his own giant rants instead. Wizard Lenham was very passionate about the bourgeoisie scum, after all, even being in the same house as her middle-class masters was driving him up the wall. She didn't realize until later that the longer she had been talking, the more confused and worried Dr. Mitchell had appeared. It was finally right before she started in on her explanation on the current state of Ragnarok that Wizard Lenin interjected. He had been somewhat displeased at the prospect of attending therapy. However, he was willing to let her do what she wanted if these mistakes she made now would eventually force her into the wizarding world, as he called it, that much sooner. Moreover, found in the community of people who worshipped these glitches as they attempted to manipulate them, the longer they sat around little whinging, the longer the Grand Revolution would have to wait for his return. He was suffering in the ways that all great leaders suffer in exile. He was Napoleon on Elba, cursing the day he ever thought it was a good idea to invade Russia in winter. He seemed to be ignoring the fact that she was only five, and even though her aunt and uncle might be all right with giving her responsibilities like cooking meals or cleaning the house, they would not be okay with her gallivanting around downtown mystical London, attempting to make a golem for the voice in her head that told her to kill things. Since then, they'd been at something of an impasse. In the car ride over, when Petunia had been giving instructions on precisely what she was never to answer honestly, and if she did so help her god, Eleanor Potter would never see the light of day from outside that cupboard ever again, Wizard Lennon had relayed his only warning. Should this doctor find you too unstable, no matter your age, you'll find yourself in a place much worse than the orphanage that your relatives threatened to send you to. Do try to keep things under control or you may find you have no choice but to return to the wizarding world earlier than expected. However, apparently staying silent was easier thought of than done, as Lily's headache grew throughout the meeting, until finally Wizard Lennon snapped in a fit of frustration. It's as if you have no idea what children even sound like. You live with one. It should be easier than this. Try to sound like Dudley, for God's sake. Wizard Lennon had this crazy theory that she was too smart to exist at least for a five-year-old. An intelligent child can read a thick book, it once said. A very intelligent child may have a particularly bright thought every once in a while. No child, no matter how intelligent, routinely ponders the nature of their existence and the existence of reality. You, Lily, are an aberration. Lily tried to think of how Dudley talked, but it was hard since he rarely ever managed to say anything. She didn't even think he'd really be able to answer Dr. Mitchell's questions, at least not to the full extent. She must have begun to look confused, because while they were waiting in silence for Lily to answer, Dr. Mitchell sighed and looked at the clock. Well, Ellie, that was... I'll have to think about some things for next time. It was probably about that time that Dr. Alfred Mitchell realized it was a bit out of his league. Wizard Lennon commented to death before taking a sip of his tea his face serene in spite of his annoyance during the episode itself. Lily didn't need a child psychologist, but she'd no doubt run circles around any other psychologist as well. So finding himself in a bit of a bind, our dear doctor returns to the basics. That was his first mistake. Outside of therapy, things had been slowly but surely returning to normal. 
Dudley now had the joy of being able to call her the crazy freak as opposed to just a normal freak to everyone at school, which, given the way she talked, was believable by everyone in her class, and had found a new and somewhat faster friend to chase her around with sticks in the playground. Now, Petunia was slightly less jittery, only becoming nervous whenever Lily had to go to therapy, but otherwise returning to her grim, demanding self, only supervising Lily when she felt it was really necessary, rather than the borderline stalking that had been going on before. The only real difference was the cats. Mrs. Figg's herd of cats had now become a patrol. They now prowled the neighborhood at regular intervals, green eyes gleaming from rooftops like security cameras. Even Wizard Lennon couldn't quite bring himself to disagree when Lily declared that they were spying on her. Mrs. Figg herself seemed somewhat calmer than she had been, staring at Lily from across the street with a slightly cheerier smile, waving when she caught Lily's eyes. So it was really no surprise that Lily assumed that therapy would have no impact on her life whatsoever. The next week Dr. Mitchell came to her with what she considered an interesting proposition. He began first by asking very direct questions that no one else had seemed capable of asking. Ellie, did you take your aunt's medicine on purpose?' And that was his first question, not bothering to waste time with pleasantries. She blinked at his directness. He lacked Wizard Lennon's ruthlessness as well as his charisma, but it was a question in his vein of thought, very to the point with little wiggle room. Yes? He looked upset but not surprised, like he had been expecting that answer but wished he hadn't been. Rubbing his temples, he moved on to his next question. Were you aware of what would happen if you took too many pills at once? Yes? They sat in the silence, staring at each other the clock ticking in the background, and the bright colors of his office clashing very heavily with the mood. He seemed to be thinking very hard about whatever it was that he needed to say next, as if one wrong word would doom the world to catastrophe. Finally, he said, In the field of psychology, there are several theories on why people do the things they do, even if the things in question are bad for them. One theory is that people are conditioned to do certain actions. In other words, if a person does something and is rewarded, they want to do it again. Or if they do something and something bad is taken away, the same thing will happen. Do you understand? Lily nodded. I know all about the stick and the carrot, Dr. Mitchell. One of Wizard Lennon's great passions was motivating other people to do things they normally wouldn't be inclined to do, especially if it was only intrinsic motivation. He'd once went on for hours about how to combine the right amount of torture so that when someone even saw you, they'd instinctively flinch and maybe even vomit on their own shoes. Right, well, yes, this is similar. According to this theory, you were triggered into taking your aunt's medication for some reason, and once you had taken it, you were rewarded in some way. So if I want to help you stop harming yourself, then we have to find either what triggered the event in the first place or how you were rewarded afterwards. If we can break the cycle at one of these two points, then you will be better. Lily really only had one thing to say to that. Akidaki. Unfortunately for the good doctor, Lily took his words as a suggestion, rather than a mere explanation, was it then commented to his audience. I see, Death said with a sigh, looking somewhat bored. Had he been human, he might have even glanced at a watch at this point, but... As it was, he just continued to stare blandly at Wizard Lennon. Although I'm failing to see what this story has to do with me. Yeah, Lily interjected now that Wizard Lennon's flow had been interrupted. What does this story have to do with Uncle Death, Lennon? 
Wizard Lennon looked blankly at the pair of them, not quite murderously angry, but definitely frustrated. They stared at each other in silence, looking for all the world like one of those dramatic standoffs in westerns, where one of them would shoot the other two down in a matter of moments. Finally, Wizard Lennon said in a quiet voice, "'If you would let me finish, we wouldn't be having this problem.' It was on the car ride back, thinking over Dr. Mitchell's words, that Lily had a terrible idea. A wonderfully terrible idea. It was the word conditioned that had breached her. An odd choice of word in normal circumstances, one that pointed towards humans being products of their environments, something Lily vaguely believed due to her own insistence that humans weren't actually people. Recently Lily had become well acquainted with the library. For one thing, Dudley found the library very dull and generally wouldn't go there, even if Lily could be found inside and there was the fact that Lily liked books. She'd always understood books, even the complicated ones she wasn't supposed to be able to understand. Books were easy and very informative. She'd started to become a regular sight in the school's library and could usually be seen in the corner next to a small tower of books. It had taken some wheedling, but she'd managed to convince the librarian to get some thicker books on psychology from the local library. For days she had been ready to tear her hair out, waiting for the book, flipping through the almost useless books stored in the school itself, suffering through lessons on how to read the alphabet, listening to Wizard Lennon's sly words that she wouldn't have to wait if she just ran off to downtown London now, but she survived, and the book arrived. After spending recess and lunch reading the book, Lily was ready. Finally, in a grand moment of declaration that in any decent film would be accompanied by music, she exclaimed to Wizard Lennon, I'm going to make a Skinner's box. According to her research, Skinner had been a psychologist who believed that humans, as well as animals, could be conditioned to perform any sort of bizarre action based on a series of either rewards or punishments. In several experiments, he'd place a rat in a box with a lever and train them to pull the lever by rewarding them with food every time they did. The box in which these types of experiments were performed became known as Skinner's boxes. It was a relatively simple model, but why couldn't it be expanded a little? Why couldn't the box with the lever instead be a house? A house by the name of Number 4 Privet Drive, to be exact. Now, what was not known by many was that Number 4 Privet Drive had an extra bedroom. No one actually slept there, but it was used to store Dudley's extra toys that he didn't want to play with but was too miserly to throw away. Lily had noted for years that whenever she asked why she couldn't just have the extra bedroom since no one was living in it, Uncle Vernon would turn into the purple-faced rage monster who would yell at her for extended periods of time about her ungrateful ways that would be appreciated in an orphanage. For years now, she had lived in the servants' quarters with no hope of moving up in the world until her debt had been paid off with interest. Now, however, thanks to Dr. Mitchell and lots of books, she'd found a way to motivate her stingy relatives. She'd start off small, and if this worked, she'd see where they could go from there. The next morning, as she was making a very artery-clogging breakfast, one that in time might call death in person to their doorstep, she asked Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon between frying slices of bacon, "'So no one actually lives in Dudley's second bedroom. Can I have it instead?' The old, uneducated, ignorant Lily would have then allowed Uncle Vernon to have his rage fit, but the newly improved in-therapy Lily interrupted the purple madness with a very loud, magically-produced noise." According to the book from the library, which she now was starting to believe was more important and far more useful than the Bible, people were naturally twitchy around some things more than others. Heights, loud noises, vermin, and various other things were very easy to make people afraid of, 
and if she paired one of these unpleasant things with what she wanted, then soon enough, just to make it stop, they'd let her have the room. Of course, they didn't know all that yet. All they knew was that something that sounded like a hideous gong had just rang through the house without anything seeming to set it off. The family sat in dumb wonder, Uncle Vernon's rage deflected, while Lily continued to cook breakfast, and finally she asked again once they seemed back to their normal selves, "'So no one actually lives in Dudley's second bedroom. Can I have it instead?' Uncle Vernon considered himself a strong, sensible, and reasonable patriarch, who in the face of trial by fire would walk through unhindered and unscathed. He broke before her next therapy session. It hadn't taken much. After the first five loops, he had started to almost resort to physical violence, which Apatunia had managed to stop the first few times with a, "'What will the neighbors think of Vernon?' and even a, "'What if the psychologist looks for bruises?' But after a while, even Apatunia lost her ability to think clearly and came to the sound conclusion, "'Oh, Vernon, just give her the damn room!' Without Apatunia to hinder him, Uncle Vernon tried and failed to beat the nonsense out of her. He had been trying and failing to beat the nonsense out of her for years. When she'd first started talking, long before Dudley seemed capable of thought at all, he declared it to be some unholy freakish work, and tried to see if spanking would do the trick. Later on, when they discovered she could read when Dudley could barely say words, he'd resorted to the same methods. Apatunia usually stared on in stern approval, but was not an active participant. However, time had shown that no matter the event, Uncle Vernon had never once managed to change Lily's behavior. At first he tried spanking, and then he tried the belt, then he tried the cupboard. He tried everything he could think of, but nothing seemed to work, because every time she'd come out with the same question, followed by the same ungodly noise when he answered incorrectly. There was only so much of that a man could take. Wizard Lennon seemed to be in awe of her, not saying much through the whole process, and only one Uncle Vernon finally broke, saying, "'Have the room, you little bitch!' did he comment. "'You're a natural.' "'A natural what?' Lily asked, unsure if he meant psychologist or something else entirely. Whatever it was, Wizard Lennon didn't deign to clarify, but rather continued in that strangely blank tone. That, I believe, would put Bellatrix herself to shame. He didn't explain who Bellatrix was, either, but Wizard Lennon wasn't the explaining sort, really. She'd take the compliment if he was willing to give it. Things were looking up in the world of Lily Eleanor Evan Potter. She now had a mattress, a window, and a bookshelf. It was like living in a palace. Mrs. Figg seemed to notice her attitude change, or her cats did, because suddenly they were around a little less, as if they had been reassured by her now upbeat nature and could return to their den. School, while still boring, became somewhat easier, as if she knew that she now had a bookshelf to store whatever books she wanted. The best part was that Dudley was now hesitant to bother her. The loud noises affected him the worst and whenever he came near her it looked like he expected his eardrums to burst. Things were actually changing in a way that Lily hadn't thought was possible. With this new technique there was no limit to what she could accomplish. Wizard Lennon, however, wasn't quite sure he agreed. Faced once again with life in Little Whinging, as opposed to the streets of magical Britain, he began to get moodier about her success. Each time she managed to accomplish some new feat, she'd hear a rumble of discontent from the resident communist. I realize, Lily, that you have yet to be acquainted with failure, but speaking from experience, reach too far, and your empire will collapse. If I were you, I would quit while I was ahead. She didn't listen, though. 
She figured that since Wizard Lennon spent most of his time ignoring her words of wisdom, she could afford to ignore his. After all, what did he know? He turned himself into a wraith in her brain by running a red light in an intersection in an attempt at homicide. Later, thinking back on the event in the train station as Wizard Lennon continued to narrate his grievances, she would have done the same thing again if she had the chance, even when things didn't end quite as expected. Really, she still plans to do the same thing in spite of her lack of success. He simply didn't take actions back like that, or at least Lily didn't, even when Wizard Lennon was proven somewhat correct. It started the day she decided to teach Dudley Dursley how to cook. Lily had been cooking for the Dursleys for years. When they'd realized that she could talk at a fairly young age, they'd decided that if she was smart enough to say some pretty words, she was damn well smart enough to listen to them. The first month had been a disaster, with little to no instruction and Aunt Petunia screaming and making her cook over and over until she got it right. But eventually she had learned enough to be competent and now was fairly good at it. It wasn't extremely difficult. Most of it involved following the recipe, so she figured that Dudley Dursley was perfectly capable of cooking his own damn breakfast. Aunt Petunia was in the garden, and Uncle Vernon at work, so the coast was clear for Lily to begin instruction of her somewhat dim and bloated cousin. It would be good for him. Dudley didn't really have any useful skills at the moment, and cooking bacon always came in handy. Wizard Lennon highly disagreed. He'd roused himself from daydreaming at the latest scheme that would end in Dumbledore's demise, whoever that was to the sight of Lily wielding a frying pan before Dudley. "'Lily, your cousin is five. Five-year-olds can barely talk. I highly doubt they can operate a stove. Please, I've been cooking since I was, like, up before I was given an accurate way to measure time,' Lily thought as she simultaneously held out the frying pan to Dudley. "'Today, Dudley's were going to learn to make bacon so that I don't have to.' Dudley stared at her blankly and then shook his head vigorously. "'No, I'll tell—' Before he could finish the sentence with Mummy, the gong of death echoed throughout the room, causing him to cover his ears a second too late. Lily started over from the beginning. Today, Dudders, we're going to learn how to make bacon so that I don't have to. Do you understand? He looked like he was going to cry, but at least there was no mention of tattling to Mummy, so he must have been at least partially willing to cooperate. I think we've established that you're not normal. I'm not even sure if you're human at this point. Wizard Lennon commented dryly, still responding to her earlier thoughts rather than her treatment of her cousin. What does that have to do with anything? Her scar began to tingle as Wizard Lennon started to feel his tolerance waning and his exasperation mounting. It means, Lily, that while you may be able to safely operate a stove, your dear cousin Dudders will not be so fortunate. Skinner said that a person can be conditioned to do almost anything. I don't think Skinner had this in mind. Look, it's not that hard. You just turn on the stove, and then put the pan on it, and then put some strips of pork fat in the pan and wait until it's not quite burnt. Easy. Lily motioned toward the stove with a hand, and Dudley, with tears in his eyes and a healthy fear of the death gong, put the frying pan on and turned on the stove. Lily still thought that her greatest mistake was not the fact that she tried to teach her five-year-old cousin to operate the stove— it was that she left him alone to do it, once she was convinced he got the general idea, which was pretty much right away, and didn't check on him even when the smoke alarm had gone off. And Petunia, still gardening in the backyard, was unaware of the racket thanks to the magical soundproofing Lily had done earlier, and only realized there was a fire when smoke was pouring out the windows. It wasn't as if the entire thing burned down, but by the time the fire department arrived and all the neighbors came out to stare, the house was a bit singed. 
After Wizard Lennon finished his story, Death stood and walked over to the cafe to get more tea. His voice rang above the distant clanking of the pitcher as he set about making the new pot. It seems you don't know me very well. I am Death, Mr. Riddle. I have seen nations crumble beneath my fingertips. I am hardly disturbed by the antics of a child. Besides, you're one to talk about childhood violence. I seem to recall you lynching a bunny before the age of eleven. Wizard Lennon seemed somewhat affronted by this. Setting fire to the house was just the beginning. Yeah, because I kind of thought it was the ending, too, Lily said. She hadn't tried anything too ambitious after that, just stuck to getting out of things rather than teaching anyone new skills like cooking. Wizard Lennon glared across the table at her. Are you conveniently forgetting the memory and repairing spells you performed? Lily blinked. Well, she couldn't just leave the house like that. Uncle Vernon had made it very clear that any sort of funny business would land her in the orphanage, and she was fairly certain that lighting houses on fire fell under the category of funny business. If the universe was splintering, why not take advantage of it? It had seemed pretty useful so far, so she took some of that extra energy lying around and made people forget what had happened and fixed the house. It was like the event never occurred in the first place. It wasn't exactly spells, Lenin. I mean, I, all I really did was suggest the universe glitches, that it may be a good idea to erase all the neighbors and the Dursley's memories and then fix the house, but it wasn't anything like a spell, Lily clarified. Wait, was that supposed to be the point of this story? I thought the point of this story was me learning to enjoy life. By showing your ruthless pragmatism and tendency towards manipulation. However, Mr. Riddle doesn't appear to know me very well. He still judges me by human standards. Death shrugged, but a small smile graced his lips, as Wizard Lennon was being swiftly and surely cut out of the conversation. Children are not capable of that kind of magic! Wizard Lennon slammed his hand on the table with all the fury of a slighted comrade. The pair stared at him in silence for a few moments, letting the words hang in the air. Finally, Lily looked at Uncle Death in confused exasperation. He keeps saying that. Death's eyes had gone somewhat flat, though looking as if he was digging through his own memories again, probably lingering on that time when he thought he was human. Did Arthur claim she was a child? That seemed to stump Wizard Lennon more or less, or at least that's what Death seemed to be assuming, as he turned for the man and instead took Lily's hands into his own and addressed her with a sad, half-smile. Perhaps he's right. I'm not the greatest of father figures, even to my own children I ended up being somewhat disappointing. Without being on the same plane as you, I can't offer much in the way of guidance. Just know that if you ever do need my help, I am waiting in the train station between life and death. All you need to do is call, and I will be there. Sometimes when Wizard Lennon really provoked death, he'd get very serious for a few moments, and then tell her something odd that seemed like it might be important later, but was rather irrelevant for the moment. Still, she knew that these were words the Dursleys would never tell her, and so she would accept them for all they were worth. "'Are you done with your little moment?' Wizard Lennon was clearly not appreciating Death's gesture. "'I believe that concludes our business here, Lily.' Wizard Lennon grabbed her hand and started dragging her towards the exit. She waved goodbye to Death with a small smile, knowing that she'd somehow find a way to visit next Sunday even if things went to hell and back before then. He smiled and waved back, offering the parting words. "'Next time you should come dressed as Castro.' I would particularly enjoy an exploding cigar. All in all, it was a fairly decent Sunday afternoon, even if it had ended with her drowning herself in the bathtub to reach the train station.
For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the AO3 page of The Carnivorous Muffin. Intro music licensed from Pond 5. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.